with the book of Psalms, or as it's often called, the Psalter, uh, you find here the worship book of Israel. This is their worship book. This was our worship book. This is the church's worship book. It's really fascinating to me, and I always always point this out, because most people really don't stop to think about it, and that is, if you try to go to the store and you say, look, the Old Testament scares me, you know, I don't, I just don't get the whole, Old Testament. it just, I don't know, there's too much in there, I whatever, I just want a little New Testament, okay? Uh, well, when you buy a New Testament copy of Scripture, guess what's going to be thrown in there for free? Psalms, Proverbs, yeah. Because apparently we can't read the Bible properly. Apparently we can't live a Christian life at all without the book of Psalms. It's that important. It teaches us to pray. It teaches us what to sing. It teaches us how to talk to God. It even talks about how we feel about God. So You see, the reason people identify with the book of Psalms is because it's not just, thus says the Lord, from a prophetic stance, but rather it's us praying to God. It's our feelings even toward God. I mean, we find ourselves, do we not, in these words, in these emotions, in these praises, in these laments? We absolutely do. What I want to do uh, this morning is look at Psalm 19 briefly and then springboard off of that, to use a very summer analogy, uh, into lessons from the beach. See, I like the beach so much that I can't leave the topic uh, within one week. Um, And we're not talking about applying sunscreen today. So bear with me here for a moment as we read uh, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring Forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. It is refreshing to the soul, like a glass of cold water on a hot day. We need this nourishment today of Your Word. Thank You for it. Bless it now to our hearts. And may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight today. In the words of our mouth we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, in His post-resurrection, but pre-Pentecost, that's what we've been talking about. So, after His resurrection, but before the Holy Spirit comes in full force, uh, he, we've looked at several now uh, episodes of His life between that little period, those 50 days where He revealed Himself. Because really, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, which we'll be celebrating in two weeks... Uh, Jesus is not accessible anymore. Not in His body. Not like that. He's not coming and appearing to people anymore. There's only one guy who He appears to after this, and that is, of course, St. Paul. And that's a big conversion moment. After that, there's no more appearings like that of Jesus. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He has done His business. He He is now veiled, as we talked about last week, in glory for our sake in order to give us grace and time to respond to Him. And so, several of these episodes, if you noticed, actually happen on the beach. Did you catch that? The Mediterranean? So Jesus actually is over there and He said, Peter said, hey! Or John says, hey, there's the Lord! Peter jumps out of the boat, right? He swims over there. Jesus is whipping up breakfast. Fish for breakfast. Which sounds good. Fish is good anytime uh, to me. And so they're on the beach. And so we decided this past week to be like Jesus and go to the beach. Um, I highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's a very refreshing, refreshing time. Uh, and so if you want to be like Jesus, go to the beach, right? No. Um, but he does, he does, we find himself several episodes of his life, post-resurrection, pre-Pentecost. He's on the beach with his disciples. And he appears on the shore to them and he's cooking breakfast. And so I'm thinking about this. And I thought about how many times Jesus uses parables. And in these parables, he, he uses natural elements or nature stories. And if you read the book of Psalms, you'll notice that primarily most of the symbols in the book of Psalms are not the new technology of the day, but rather nature. Why is that? Because no matter what's going on technologically, however advanced you are or not so advanced, what is common to all of us is nature. You can't get away from it. It is core to all of us. It is our context. It's our habitat. I mean, at the same time that we don't really think of ourselves as animals, we think of ourselves as above animals, we still have many animal characteristics, one of them being habitat. And the world is our habitat. It is where we live and move, and have our being. And God has given us nature to enjoy. And so people pack up every summer, people pack up every winter, and they drive far distances, fly far just to be in certain portions of God's creation, such as the beach. Um, It's not the same to go to your local lake as it is to go to the beach. There's something vast and magnificent there in that body of water that's not really found there in that smaller body of water. 
Same thing with mountains. There may be a couple mountains here and there, you know, Monsanto and all, but, but when you go to the Rockies, you're like, wow, man, I've really been missing out here, you know. Uh, these things are so high, they have snow on them. And so we travel, we go and look at nature. And Jesus uses nature images, does He not, in those parables? And they're very powerful because we can identify with them. The psalmist uses nature images because they're powerful. And so what I try to do in my life is when I'm going through life, when I'm traveling, doing whatever it is I'm doing, I try to find things that remind me of God, remind me of our relationship with Jesus, remind me of what we are to be doing in in maybe even mundane things or maybe in special things. And so... The beach is no different. When we were down there, I'm thinking, and yet, you know, thinking about you, thinking about our church, thinking about my life, the kids, and I'm trying to put together some things. And so, here are some thoughts or lessons that I learned from being at the beach for the time that we were there um, and, and just taking notice of what was around me, really. The first thing is, I lost my sunglasses, which was very sad to me. Uh, I lost them on like the second day that we were there. So that was not a good thing for my eyeballs. Um, and so if you see a couple extra wrinkles up here, then the, that's the reason why. It's because I was doing this number the whole time, you know, uh, because, because I lost my sunglasses. I go out, I'm on this little, little inflatable uh, river tube thing, and I go out there beyond the waves where they're crashing, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm chilling now. But, but, you know, I'm having to do a lot of work to stay out there because everything, the you know, ocean's obviously trying to topple you over. So I'm out there, I'm enjoying it, and all of a sudden, I turn around, there's a massive wave that's breaking out there, and it breaks on me, and my sunglasses are just gone. I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, feeling around with all my limbs, trying to figure out where they might be, and, and it's just gone. I'm like, wow, that was really quick to lose that much money, you know. Um, and so, so I lose my sunglasses, and I'm in like, you know, three foot water, whatever, and I'm trying to find them, and it's a futile search because obviously the ocean is churning everything. They could already be five feet under me in sand. I, you know, who knows where they are uh, in the belly of a fish? Who knows? And, and I got to thinking after I lamented for a while, um, which, by the way, most of the Psalms are actually laments. Uh, mo- the majority of the book of Psalms is laments. And doesn't that match our life? <laughs> I mean, most of our life probably is not just on the mountaintop shouting, yeah, we, we did it, you know, victory, you know. It's probably not that. It, it's probably pre- pretty mundane. Um, as, as Jay-Z just mentioned a while ago, uh, most of us probably are going through something right now. Maybe we haven't even told anybody, but we're going through it. And so after I lamented, I, I, a verse came to mind. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19 I thought to myself, you know, here I am in three foot of water and I can't even find a pair of sunglasses. Right? He's talking about the depths of the sea. The deep, we haven't even been... We don't have technology to go down to the deepest part of the ocean. They, they tell me, from reading, I, I, that I've been told that... Underneath the ocean is mountains. Just like we have mountains up here, they have mountains and valleys and caverns and, and crevices or crevasses as they call them. Um, you know, And so, that's under the ocean. We've never been down there. We can't get down there. It's, it'll, it would, it's too... Com- you know, just like in space, 
you would compress. You don't explode, you compress. It would crush you if you didn't have the suit on. So too, under the ocean, it crushes you. You would be crushed to death. Nobody, we don't have devices to get down that far yet. And he says, look, now Micah doesn't, you know, he doesn't know all the technology that we have today. But he says, look, our sins are cast into the deepest sea. And I just got to thinking after my sunglasses were lost that quick, I'm thinking, man, that's good news for us, isn't it? Who are sinners? Who have sinned against God? To know that He can wipe our slate clean and cast those things where no one can find them. That's powerful. That's powerful good news. It's the best of news if we really understand our plight. It's really interesting to me and sad. I was talking to someone yesterday. And it's really sad that we have the answer, which is Jesus. The answer, which is the cross. But we don't really understand the problem. And so here we have the most precious gift ever given to us, and we're like some snotty-nosed kid that has no idea what he's holding. And it's a danger. Living New Testament is a danger that we have forgotten what the problem is. The problem is sin. And that is a serious problem. It is a problem that will put you in hell if you don't have Jesus' forgiveness. Amen. Sometimes I feel like we forget that. You know, we just feel like, hey, you know, I live in America. I live a pretty good life. I give and I do this and that. But is that salvation? Salvation is Jesus. It's knowing Jesus and loving Jesus. The only way you can do that is to be forgiven of your sins. It's for Him to change your heart so that you don't do those things sins. If this is a relationship, no relationship continues where the person continually asks forgiveness for the same stuff and refuses to change even though it's available. That's no relationship at all. And so, I thought about your testimony, my testimony, your witness, just like that wave, one wrong decision can put you at risk of losing it all. But thanks be to God, He can redeem. He can redeem. He can restore our hearts, our testimony. We've all failed God. We've all Purposefully, you notice the the psalmist said presumptuous sin earlier in our reading. Keep me from presumptuous. That's that's on purpose sin. In other words, we look at God and we say, "I know what you want me to do," and I'm just not going to do it. That makes me really angry as a parent. By the way, I mean it's it's one thing for my kids to do something dumb. I mean they do that all the time, and not know what they're doing. You know. It's another thing for them to look at me and I say, do you understand what I'm saying? Don't do that again. They look at me and then they do it. Well, then comes the apocalypse. You follow me? You want to talk about the sun smashing into the earth? 
That's when that happens, you know. You blow dad's top at that point, you know, and the whistle starts blowing. Uh, and mom comes in to referee. So the point is here, that's the worst kinds of sin is ones where you know what you ought to be doing and you don't do them. And we've all done that. And that breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with one another. And yet, when we turn to God, our sins can be lost in the deepest sea. Just like that, He can deliver us. Just like that, He can forgive us. And it ought to humble us. Most of the time we just, oh yeah, we just take that for granted. We're, forgiveness of sins, that's, that means you know, I can, I'm good with God. Me and Him are tight. Well, remember what Jesus' words were in the reading we just had. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Well, the alternative is if you don't love Him, you won't keep them. So what does it mean about people who don't keep them? I think it's clear. Second thing, second lesson from the beach was, was the sand. So lots of sand. There's really, if you want to go see some of the sand from the beach, just come to my van and we've got plenty of it all within the van and especially in the trunk area where I threw all the toys in when we were ready to leave and you know it's just pouring in there. So I'm looking at the sand. This, this happens to me every time I go to the beach. I'm just reminded again and anew of Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite psalms of all time. And by the way, little commercial. If you come to our small group, we'll be actually tackling Psalm 139 in the small group and interpreting that. So you'll be interpreting that. Um, notice what it says in Psalm 139.18. If I would count them, that is God's thoughts about us, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Now, that's a very climactic part of the psalm. And what he's saying there is God thinks about us. I mean, just, just follow me real quick. God, you know, the one who created everything, the one who's in charge of everything, the one who's known every single person to live ever, famous ones and infamous ones and not so famous ones. God, we're talking about God thinks about you and me. And He thinks about us so much that the psalmist, he uses this figure of speech, he says, it's more than the sand. Now, let me just put you at the beach real quick with me. So there I am on the beach, right? I mean, if I, if I just stick my finger, press my thumb into the, into the sand, guess what? There's all kind of granules of sand on the end of my finger. I mean, 50, 60, maybe 100, right there on the end of my finger. Just what? And then you look across that way, and that way, it just seems non-stop. You look out into the ocean, you look behind you, sand. That many and that much, and he says, more than the sand, God thinks about you. More than each grain of sand, He has thoughts about you. He actually thinks about you. You. And, and how many of us think about God at all within an hour? Within a day? Sometimes within a week. Just a passing thought. And yet He loves us so much that He thinks about us. I mean, isn't it the people that you love that you really think about? Those who are close to your heart 
who come to mind. You know, you're enjoying some experience and boom, somebody comes to mind. It's because you love them. That's why. God thinks about us more in a day than we can imagine. Again, we have a great gift and, and we, don't even, we blow it off. We don't, even, we don't understand what it is we have in Jesus Christ. What He's provided. He loves us that much that He thinks about us. He has thoughts for us. He, has plan- he already knows what you're going through and He wants you to tell Him about it. And so I'm sitting there and I also think about the angel in Revelation, the book of Revelation, that has one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. That's a big angel. And I always just think, always just think to myself, man, that's, that's a huge body of water right there. You know, uh, I mean, you can see until you just can't see anymore. And I think, man, he's got one foot there and one foot way over here. And he's way up there. I mean, that's the kind of world we live in. I mean, do you, do you even believe that? Most of us just, we, we can't fathom that because we don't really, I'm afraid, believe it. We don't believe that we're surrounded by a great heavenly host of angels and those who have gone before us that are cheering us up. I love the picture in Hebrews. The hall of faith, as it's called. That chapter 11 where all the faithful who have gone before us now surround us and cheer us on in this race. I mean, I've already expressed to you how important it was in my triathlon race to have my family there supporting me. Cheering me on. I mean, I felt like one point when I got out of the water after a 42 minute swim, I felt like I was going to pass up and throw up at the same time. And I hear little voices, Go, Daddy! Go, Daddy! And I'm thinking, Whew, Daddy! That doesn't feel so good right now, you know? Um, but, but it gives me energy. It, it, and, and to think about you thinking about me and, and cheering me. I know a lot of people, hey, good luck with the, with the trial, man. You know, that, that helped me say, I can't quit. This is not some training event I'm in. This is the real deal. And I'm telling you, and the Bible's telling you in Hebrews, this is the real deal. This is not a training event. This is not time to sleep. This is not time to nap or lay your head down like I wanted to do. It's time to get up and get to work. We only have this one life. And it's meant to be lived for Jesus. Not for ourselves. For others. Not for self. So where are our thoughts is, is what came home to me. Where are, my, where are Marshall's thoughts? You know, Are they on God? Are they on other people? Or is it all about me? God's thoughts are always other-oriented. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, don't you love the, the dynamic that Jesus shows to us, reveals to us in His earthly life? He's always concerned about doing the Father's will. Not His own. He's concerned about His mission and making sure it happens and is completed so that, guess what? Another can come. It's never about Him. What does the Spirit do when He comes? He points to Jesus. What is, the, what is the Father proud of when He speaks from heaven? His Son. Nobody, nobody's congratulating their self in the Holy Trinity. They're other-oriented. Beautiful dynamic. It shows to us how relationships ought to work and run. It's other-oriented. Not self. We're not meant for self. 
That's why we don't have eyeballs that look at us. Little tentacles. I mean, if, if we had little tentacles like they show in the little, little thing, you know, like some of the cartoons that Jackson and I watch, we would be looking at, man, that's my hair doing? You know, I'd be checking it out right now. No, I can't see myself. We're not meant to be looking at ourselves. We're meant to look at each other. We're meant to be other-oriented, not selfish. And God created us like that. That's the way He's created everything. All right, here's the third lesson. And it comes from my second son, who is Baylor, Frank, a.k.a. And so we take a, be- you know, take a walk on the beach. i got all these dudes. I'm holding tea, and all the other people are falling behind me. And, and so we take this walk, you know, and, and then we're coming back, and Baylor says, Daddy? I said, yeah, buddy. He says, I wasn't looking at you. I was following your footsteps. I thought to myself, that's one of the most profound things I've ever heard. Hmm. I don't think the philosophers could say it better than that. Isn't it, though? I mean, I put on a persona. I put on a face sometimes. I don't want to be, you know, I want to be angry sometimes and I have to put on a face. We put up a front, don't we? To look nice when we're at work or church or wherever. But what do kids really follow? It's not what we want to put on or what we think about ourselves. I mean, you probably think pretty good about yourself. I mean, most of you think, I'm doing better than so-and-so, right? I mean, we kind of compare and do this sort of thing. And most of us think we're doing pretty well. But what does the kids follow? They follow your actual steps. Where you actually step your footsteps. I thought it was just profound. Dad, I didn't look at you but I followed your footsteps. They pick up on things. Didn't you as a child pick up on things that were never said, that were never meant to be seen, but you picked up on it? And it shapes you. And I got to thinking, boy, that is very true. What is reality? Reality is seen in what we produce. Our actions. Go back to what Jesus said. If you love me, then keep my commandments. Notice that He didn't say, if you love me, believe in me. Trust in me. Now the way He determines whether or not we are trusting in Him or are believing in Him is by what we do. You say, well, I thought it was faith alone. Well, please read James and see him before you leave on that subject and go off too far. Off the deep end. Another summer analogy. Here's what James says in 122. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. We can deceive ourselves. Haven't you done that before? You thought yourself, you thought you were kind, right? Until you got married. Then you realized you weren't. Oh, is that just me? <laughs> I got to laugh about that because it's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we sometimes think of ourselves as greater than what we really are. And marriage can belittle us in this way. Um, 
in some of my marriage counseling, I actually I talk about this book, uh, Sacred Marriage, and it is and and uh, his whole point is: What if God created marriage not to make us happy, but instead to make us holy? I think that is the purpose. It's not about your happiness. If you if you're in it for your happiness, then that's a marriage that's not going to last very long, or it's going to be a very soured marriage, a very stale marriage. But if you see it as an opportunity to become more holy, to lose yourself, that is marriage's purpose and ultimate fulfilling. Because God is the one who designed it, not you. Here's what James says in 2.17, So also faith by itself, notice these words, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead dead so again we can think of ourselves as this or that but look behind you at what you've left behind that is what others are going to follow what are you producing in your life are you producing fruit for the kingdom or is it really all about you is it selfishness is it nothingness? <laughs> Here's a quote I ran across uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Most people think about Christianity and they think about a bunch of negatives. I can't do this or I can't do that. Don't do this and don't do that. That's not what we should be defined by. No one likes an organization that is defined by what they don't do. Rather, people like organizations, companies, that are defined by what they do. We too, as Christians, ought to be defined not by what we don't do. We're not called to police people. You shouldn't be doing that. There's one who's called the Holy Spirit who does an excellent job of that. And he, he can use our help, um, but we are not the Holy Spirit. What we are called to do is overcome evil with good. If there's a struggle in your life, if there's a sin that you can't overcome, you won't overcome it by trying to stop doing it. You have to start doing something good in its place. And so the Scripture says, overcome any evil with good, not with stopping to do stuff. No, we do good things. So get to work doing good. Uh, and what, what you'll end up finding is that when you do good and do things that even are outside of your normal comfort zone, you'll lose yourself in that. And that's a good thing. That's the best thing. If you'll think back to the best moments in your life, you weren't thinking about you. It was an experience that you shared with someone else or it was a moment in your life where you weren't even concerned with what your reward was going to be. You were doing it out of pure love. And love is not about you, it's about another. Here's the last thing. 
And this is not necessarily from the beach, but it happened at the beach, which is I started reading Dante's Inferno, um, which is a, is a classic from the medieval period. Um, and, and a little scary. Not scary as in horror scary, but scary to read for me because I was wondering if I could read it. And I'm barely reading it. I feel like a, I feel like a first grader, you know. Um, it's very difficult. And so... One thing that I've learned, though, that I've been able to pick up from what I have been able to understand <laughs> is that ideas have real consequences. Those people that are in hell, that he, you know, he goes through the different circles of hell as he's going down, and those people all had problems like we do, and they never overcame them, and that's why they're in hell. And each of the torments were specific to that group of people, whether it was lust or whether it was gluttony or whether it was selfishness or whether it was trying to be seen by people. There's all the types of different sins that we all fall into that all ensnare us and they never overcame them. And some people were there, this was most shocking, because they didn't do anything. They just didn't do anything. And that's why they were there. And I'm afraid that if I had to put my finger on one sin that is spreading like wildfire in our country, it's just apathy. I just You got your own thing going on. You don't care about anything else but what you got going on. And I'm telling you, that can send you to hell. And that's a real thing. In other words, ideas, your actions have real consequences. I've actually never read a book just about somebody going and visiting hell. <laughs> uh, this is it for me. And so it was shocking to me being at the beach and just thinking about all the people around me and all the people in our church and myself included and the fact that what we do here really will mean something in the next life. Amen. We say that, but sometimes I wonder if we really believe it. If we would avoid sin, like it would send us to hell. I don't know. I just, I'm afraid we've kind of slid that under the rugs. Oh, that's a bunch of talk. And is it? Is it? I mean, I go, I go back to Blaise Pascal's wager argument. You know, hey, here's what this argument says it says, look, if you had to wager, if you had to bet uh, on your life, on Christianity, wouldn't it be better to bet on Jesus than not to bet on Him? I mean, here's the thing. If you live a good life, a Christian life, what have you lost when you come to the end of it? What have you really lost? I mean, by all standards from all cultures and all religions, you've lived a good life. You've forgiven people. You've treated them with kindness. Treat them as, they, as you wanted to be treated. What, what have you really lost? However, if you don't live a Christian life, live it, remember, not just believe it, live it, what have you lost? You've lost everything. lost everything. So if you were going to bet on this one life, you would bet, Blaise Pascal says, on, on the side of actually Jesus and not the alternative. You don't have to be a betting person. You can know today that you're His. You can know today that you have life and have it abundantly. Do you know those things? Are you working for eternal fruit and not just for yourself? 
really, what do your footsteps look like? Where, where do they lead, really? I know you think stuff about yourself, but where, where do your footsteps? It's, it's hard to look at ourselves sometimes because it's not, it's not always pretty. But the Holy Spirit is here to help. Jesus has made a way for us to be delivered, redeemed, saved, as we say. He can do that. He can do it today. He can do it right now. And that's what we want to give Him time to do. I'm going to ask Rachel to come and, and play us through a song. And I want this to be a time for you to respond to God in prayer. Amen.